The reading this morning is taken from Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let's just pray together and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, as we read and look at your word together, we pray that you would breathe on your word by your spirit. Help us to hear what Jesus has to say, not just to people long ago, but to us today and make us attentive to his voice and those who are quick to follow him. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Perhaps we could leave the first two verses of our reading up there. I think that would be helpful to us this morning. Thank you. I looked at this particular passage of scripture to preach from because there are no set readings or themes for these weeks. So I looked at the lectionary, and the gospel reading from the lectionary is this one that we read this morning, uh, from the beginning of Luke chapter 15. And I thought it was particularly appropriate for Cap Sunday. And as it happens, as I've had to make a few changes to my message as the week has gone on, I thought it was particularly appropriate to this time when we are thinking about the death of the Queen and thinking about her. Can you cast your mind back to uh, a series that we had in February through to Easter of this year based on Pete Hughes' book, All Things New. You may remember that that took us on a a sweeping view of the whole of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, creation, decreation, you learnt a new word, and recreation or new creation. And at the beginning of that series, we looked at the opening chapters of the Bible, and we were reminded of how that we, 
each one of us, all humankind, the people around us in this community, and all the people in this world were made in the image of God. We were made to image God. For we read in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three times, we're told, we're made in God's image. And as if we didn't get it in three occasions, then we're told also that we're made in God's likeness. We were made to image him. We were created with a purpose. And that purpose is to image God, to reflect his own character, to reflect his heart and to further his purposes towards all that he has made. And this answers a very important question which maybe our children have asked us at some point and which we ask ourselves, why am I here? We're not just an accident of nature. We're not just the blind expression of selfish genes out to propagate themselves. We were made with a purpose. We were made to reflect the character and heart and purposes of the living God. But what does that mean in practice? What is God like? That's the issue that is at stake in this controversy between the Pharisees and teachers of the law on the one hand and Jesus on the other hand. The Pharisees and teachers of the law felt they understood quite clearly what God was like. They knew that God had demanded that his people should be holy as he is holy. And so they sought to be obedient to God's law and not only to be careful in their obedience to God's law but to hedge that law around with all sorts of extra um, traditions of their own requirements of their own to make sure they got nowhere near breaking God's law at least that was the idea and they looked down their noses on the common people, the ordinary people like you and me, who were not as pedantic in their law-keeping as they were, speaking of them in derogatory terms as tax collectors and sinners. And then along came Jesus, and the common people flocked around him. They loved to listen to what he had to say. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law looked at Jesus and they muttered to each other, this man welcomes tax collectors and sinners and eats with them. And so they looked down their noses at Jesus. 
And Jesus, knowing what they were saying about him, tells them three stories, two of which Maggie read to us this morning, and the third of which you know very well anyway. Jesus told them three stories of things that were lost but were found, of a man who lost a sheep, and later found it again and the joy it brought to his heart in finding his lost sheep. Of a woman who lost a coin and then found it and who called her neighbours to rejoice with her because she'd found the coin that was lost. And the third parable, which we often refer to as the parable of the prodigal son, of a son who was lost to his family, who turned his back on them and gone off and spent his father's money in profligate ways, but who later returned home and was welcomed back into the family, the father running out to meet him and throwing his arms around him, killing the fatted calf, the fatted calf, the one calf that was being fatted, fattened up for some special occasion, killed it to, re to make a party for his son so that the whole family could rejoice in this son who'd been lost but was found again. And Jesus tells these parables with a particular purpose in mind. As the, as the um, Pharisees and teachers of the law had muttered, this man welcomes tax collectors and sinners and eats with them, Jesus wants to show them that in doing this, he is the one who reflects the very heart and character of the living God. Not them who look down their noses on the common people, but he is the one who holds out his arms to the common people and welcomes them. Welcomes them to hear him and to follow him. Jesus reflects the heart of God. What does it mean to image God? We see this, the answer to this question in the Lord Jesus himself. He is, says Paul, the image of the invisible God. Where can you see God and what he is like? Look at the Lord Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the one who shows us exactly what God is like. He said to his disciples, He who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at me, he says. I'm showing you what God is like. He is the one who shows us what it means to image God in a hum human life. He is the one who shows us human life as it was meant to be lived and who calls us to be like him, to live out the purpose for which we were created to image God. Jesus, yes, is our saviour. 
he lived a perfect life when we have so often failed. He is the one who gave himself for us at the cross and atoned for our sin and wrongdoing so that we might be brought back to God and embraced by the love of God. But he is also our example. He's the one who shows us the perfect human life. And he calls us to follow him, to be like him. This is the purpose for which we were created, to image God, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't be that in our own strength. We need the power of the Lord Jesus within us by his spirit to enable us to be like him. But what does that mean in practical detail? Well, I've got just a few points this morning. You may think they're all the same point, but a few points. And the first of this, it means to live a life marked by love. To live a life marked by love. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to, to God. We're to live a life marked by love, just as Jesus gave himself to a life marked by love. And in doing so, showed us the great love which God has for us. And that love which we are called to show is not sentimental. It's costly love. Love like that of the Lord Jesus. It's not love just confined to those who love you. Jesus says we should love even our enemies. He said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Our love then is to be as wide and generous as the love that God shows us. You remember those choruses? Wide, wide as the ocean, high as the heaven. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But you remember them, we sing them from childhood. That's what God's love is like. It's extravagant, it's wide, it's high, it's deep, it's shown us in the Lord Jesus. And our love is to be like that. And secondly, it means to live a li life marked by compassion, marked by compassion. My New Testament reading this morning was from that passage where Jesus has just been told of the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. And Jesus wants to go somewhere alone with his disciples, somewhere quiet, where he can mourn the death of John, and so they get in the boat and they go to the other side of the lake 
And what does Jesus find when he gets to the other side of the lake? Well, the crowds have got there before him. They're waiting for him and they've got demands to make on him. So what does Jesus do? Does he jump back in the boat and off they go to somewhere else? Not at all. We read that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for the crowds in all their confusion, in all their fatigue. We're surrounded by people today who feel in the same way harassed and helpless. They don't know where to turn. We're being reminded today of the work of cats. But there are so many people around us who feel harassed and helpless. What kind of compassion can we show for them in these days? We need to pray that we'll be kept from compassion fatigue, that we will carry on showing compassion like that of Christ even when we feel tired and would rather retire and find a quiet place to spend all by ourselves or just with our friends. It means living a life marked by compassion. And thirdly, it means taking on the role of a servant. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes, you'll know these words very well, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as is in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus was fully divine, the Lord of glory, but he left his throne in glory to come into this world not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for many. And shortly before he went to the cross, you remember at that last supper with his disciples, he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and kneeling at the feet of his disciples, he washed their feet and dried them. He took on the role of the most menial of servants. And he said to them, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus calls us to follow him in taking on the role of a servant, in serving one another and to serving those in need around us. You may remember, you may have heard on the news in the last couple of days, you may have been reminded of how on her 21st birthday, Princess Elizabeth, as she was then, made a radio broadcast to the nation in which she said, I declare before you that my whole life 
whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. And that vow which she made before even she was queen is one that she kept through all the 70 years of her reign and more. She never faltered from living a life of service to the nation right up to the end. You may remember that on the occasion of her 90th birthday, Bible Society and LICC and Hope jointly produced this booklet, The Servant Queen and the King She Serves, reminding us of the servant character of our Queen through all those years, and that it was modelled and rooted in her faith and her reliance on one who was her servant king, the Lord Jesus. The Queen was very clear in identifying both the model and the power in her life of, of tireless service. In her Christmas broadcast in 2012, she said, this is the time of year when we remember that God sent his only son to serve, not to be served. He restored love and service to the centre of our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. And in 2014, the Christmas broadcast, she said, For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today is an inspiration and an anchor in my life. We thank God for the exemplary life of our recently departed Queen. And we recognise that just as she looked to the Lord Jesus as the one who was her model, her inspiration, her rock, so we are called to look to the Lord Jesus as our model. We are to be like him in giving ourselves in love and compassion and in service to others. And in doing so, we reflect the very character of God himself. And so I want to leave you with this final thought that it is as we become like Jesus and devote ourselves to love like his love, to compassion like his compassion, to service like his service, that we make God known. In his first epistle, the Apostle John writes, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. People can't see God. Many people around us may doubt that there is such a being as God at all. But when we live in love for one another 
and for people around us, and for this world in all its pain and need, we show the world what God is like. We make God known. We show the world what the Lord Jesus is like. And maybe they'll catch, catch a glimpse of him and be drawn to faith in him. We live in days when people are troubled and distressed over many things. Maybe it's the death of the Queen at the moment and what the future holds with our new King. But also it's the cost of living crisis and how they will cope over this winter. It's conflict between nations. Where will it end? It's climate change with floods and droughts. What good news have we got? for those who are harassed and feel helpless today. I quoted once before in this, in preaching, Billy Bray and him saying, there are five gospels. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, there's John, and there's you, Christian men and women. For we are to live out the reality of the gospel, perhaps the only gospel many people will read. And by living it out and showing the love and compassion and ser servant heart of Christ, we proclaim the gospel, the good news to people, and draw them to come with us and follow the servant king whom we serve. How can we make Christ known this week? How can we make God known through our lives, what we say, what we do, and the love we show? May God help us each one to reflect the character of Christ in all we say and do this week. For his name's sake.